up, everyone? Welcome back to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is what we like to call one of our classic deep dives into the good old world of history. This time around, it's a deep dive into American history. And Emily, as a, as a history buff yourself, you're so good at chronology in your life. You must love history. I'm just making assumptions here. On a scale of one to Cibola, how excited are you for today's episode? <laughs> <laughs> um, at about the part where they um, just escaped the water after murdering a man. Wow, so you're you're pretty pretty excited. Yes, but I also did just murder someone, so <laughs> Wow, this is a roller coaster of emotions already and we have just gotten started. So, I think what that means is today's episode of our show is sure to be an adventure. And that's because today's deep dive episode will take a look at the history of the first assassination of a president in American history, the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln by John Wilkes Booth. And of course, this is a critical moment in American history, not just defining our country, but also defining the second film in our beloved film franchise, that film being National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets. So... I don't know, Emily, I like to think of this deep dive episode as really an in-depth version of one of our historical fact versus fiction episodes. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah, we're kind of just taking one of those points that we would go into detail on in one of those episodes and just dedicating an entire episode to it. Uh, That's what we're doing here examining how Book of Secrets portrays this particular historical event and comparing it to what really happened that fateful day in 1865. So before we talk about how this episode is going to roll, Emily, I know you have something you want to share with us all. Yes, I want to tell you guys that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can find us for your listening ears on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, even SoundCloud. We got you guys that are trying to be a little hipster out there covered. Guys, go ahead and give us a follow, subscribe, review, rate, whatever you can do. And you definitely want to be on Twitter for this episode following us, of course, because as usual, we will have some episode-appropriate content that we will be sharing with you on that feed. So give us a follow. Heck yes, we appreciate each and every one of you who are following and interacting with us um, based on these episodes. So with that, let's get started with this episode, shall we? Um, Let's go. So we're going to start off with the history examining what actually happened in President Lincoln's assassination, tying back to Book of Secrets at any possible time, of course. And then we're going to end with uh, with a little fun stuff that uh, Emily, I know, is looking forward to. Yes, I put on, for those of you who watch Bones, my best Jack Hodgins hat and uh, dug into some potential conspiracy theories that uh, exist around the assassination of Lincoln. And they're interesting. Let me tell you, they're they're quite something. <laughs> well, um, I cannot wait. So hopefully our listeners agree. And, uh, and without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, 
this is our deep dive on President Lincoln's assassination. So, of course, fans of National Treasure know that National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets opens on the evening of April 14th, 1865, and we are told on screen that this is five days after the end of the Civil War. We learn just a few minutes in, it's also the day that President Lincoln was shot. And we got to start off strong here. All of this is entirely true um, to, to kick us off. So uh, our story writers were off to um, a historically accurate start, which we can all appreciate, I know. Very much so. So the real question here, Emily, when it comes to history is what actually happened on this day, April 14th, 1865? Did Lincoln get assassinated? Well, yes. It depends what your full definition of assassination is, though. He didn't what? actually die that day. Oh, he didn't? No, and we're going to get to that, M. Jesus. Oh, okay. Jeez, oh, I'm excited now. <laughs> It, it does turn out that National Treasure 2 told the story of this shooting with a great deal of allegiance. Now, while the meeting between John Wilkes Booth, his Knights of the Golden Circle co-conspirator, and Thomas Gates is purely fiction because Gates is a fictional character, what happens next is, is really quite faithful to reality. So... On April 14, 1865, President Lincoln, his wife, and two guests were scheduled to attend a performance of a play. The play was called Our American Cousin. It's a comedy um, at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C., and uh, that's a location that you can go visit in, in D.C., Highly recommend checking it out if you're into history. It's on uh, mine and Emily's list of things to do when the global health situation improves and we can get back to our national treasure hunting. Yes. Um, but, but I digress. Um, the, the date, April 14th, it was actually Good Friday. So, yeah, two days before Easter. And uh, President Lincoln and his group were seated in a box at the theater, a private box, as we saw portrayed in, in Book of Secrets. Now, John Wilkes Booth found the entrance of the box to be unguarded, which seemed to be the case in the film, too. I mean, remember we commented on how he uh, he made a conscious effort to hang up his hat before entering the box? Yeah. I don't... I mean, I couldn't find any corroboration that he did such a gentlemanly thing before doing such an ungentlemanly thing. <laughs> but he didn't glad that you consider murder ungentlemanly. <laughs> Do you not? I mean, we did just discuss that on your scale of one to Cibola, you had just killed a man, so uh. yeah. <laughs> oh, ungentlemanly. I don't know what... it's very ungentlemanly. Um what happened in, in real life is basically he entered the box John Wilkes Booth entered the box there was a double a set of double doors there was an outer set of doors and an inner set he went into the outer portion of the box barred those doors from the inside so that no one could easily get in from the hallway and um, we know what happens next he entered the inner door of the box and you know, John Wilkes Booth was an actor himself. We'll get into this more in just a little bit. But he was able to identify a part in the play which would elicit a lot of laughter from the audience. This is a comedy, after all. And so, 
at that point in the play, he uses his pistol to fire a single shot into the back of President Lincoln's head from a really point-blank distance. This is mere inches here. Um, so that is that is what we see in National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. What we don't see is that Booth also slashed one of Lincoln's viewing companions um, with a dagger, a knife that he was also carrying. He was equipped with both a dagger and a pistol. And then the next thing we know, if we base our knowledge of history off of Book of Secrets, is that Booth then jumps from the box onto the stage, catching his foot on a flag in the process. And uh, Emily, I got some news for you. What's that? He did actually, in real life, catch the spur of his boot on a flag as he was jumping down. So uh, when we see that in the film, it wasn't just added for dramatic effect, even though I know you thought it had a beautiful dramatic effect for the movie. I did. Yeah, and I have another thing to tell you. What's that? Uh, as he jumped to the stage, probably owing in large part to the fact that he hooked his leg on a flag, um, when he landed, he broke his leg. <gasps> no yeah. way. I said that. Yeah. Emily, so I got to give Emily some credit here. When we were doing our recap and commentary of this movie, she has really got an eye for very small details in these movies. Something that I genuinely appreciate. I'm not even being facetious. But not the big picture. <laughs> not the big picture. That's That's my job. The small details. Emily was sure to comment on the fact that once he hit the stage and like tried to escape, he was limping. So, so good job, Emily. Thank you. This was a real detail added from real life, um, but I will rain on your parade a little bit. This does prove that John Wilkes Booth is not the one-legged man seen in the opening frame of Book of Secrets, which I know was one of your conspiracy theories. Still want to know who that man was. I think he was just a soldier from the war. Poor thing. Indeed. Well, at least you can say poor thing. You couldn't have said that if it was Booth. I know. So I was making fun of the one-legged man before because <laughs> I thought he was Booth. Wow. Okay. This explains a lot. Um, <laughs> in any case, um, upon landing and breaking his leg, in the film we see that Booth is holding that very dagger that he used to slash um, President Lincoln's companion, and he exclaims, Six Semper Tyrannis, which roughly translates to, Thus ever to tyrants. Um, that is supposedly what happened in real life as well, though some do say that his words were, The South is avenged. Um, also, I have a fun fact here, which isn't really fun when you think of the context, but it is very dramatic. Uh, apparently, the crowd initially thought his appearance on the stage was part of the play. That's always the risky run when you're doing a play or a musical. When things happen, people think like, oh, this is definitely part of it. And I'll give you an example. When we were at Ursina's college and we did um, the music, we did a musical there was a scene in which um, one of the women that was playing the main character sat on the edge of the stage and had a suitcase in her hand. And the suitcase fell down into the pit orchestra and hit uh, our dear friend Becca's head. Oh, and no. <laughs> everybody thought that was just part of the um, part of the show. Wait, did I know about this? I don't know. But it was the one that was recorded on video. So we went to Dr. Hub's house and watched it, and we all saw the moment when it dropped in, and we were like, oh, Becca. 
Well, um, as you can tell from Emily's laughter, our dear friend Becca is a-okay. She survived the incident. Um, unfortunately, the same could not be said for for President Lincoln in this case, um, as we will find in just a moment when we talk a little bit about the aftermath of this event. Um, but I find this really fascinating, the fact that the crowd thought that it was part of the play at first, because number one, it's a comedy. This doesn't feel like a very comedic thing to uh, jump onto the stage and scream. Also, the fact that Booth was an actor might be one of the reasons they thought it was legit because they mm -hmm. recognized him. You think? I can see that, especially at like a theater like this where he probably performed a lot. It, it makes it. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is maybe owing to that brief moment of confusion, he is able, despite the fact that he has a broken leg, to escape the theater to find his horse, which he had waiting outside, and, and he escaped D.C. on horseback. Mm -hmm. um, so this is all to say, this is what happened that night, and I just want to give National Treasure 2 folks some props, because this might be the most accurate historical portrayal we've seen in these films to this point. Yeah, I concur with that. So um, I'm, I was really impressed by that. Um, but since we are doing a historical deep dive here, I did want to take a step back and ask, how did we get here? Because National Treasure has to find a point at which to start, and they opted to choose the date of the shooting, mm -hmm. right? But what led up to this point to create one of the most notorious murderers in American history in, in John Wilkes Booth? And so um, all we really know about Booth himself from the film is that he had a diary. And we're, of course, going to talk more about that in a moment since it plays such a pivotal role in the film. But who was John Wilkes Booth? Well, Emily, it turns out that Booth was from Maryland, born in the year 1838. And as we've discussed, he was an actor by trade. Now, importantly, he sympathized with the Confederacy during the Civil War, largely considering himself a Southerner, um, perhaps in part because he was a popular actor in Richmond, Virginia, which I'm, I believe was the Confederate capital. Uh, wait, Virginia? Since when is Virginia part of the South? Always. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Um, Booth was also an advocate of slavery, and so you might start to see why, um, number one, eek, right, <laughs> boo, and number two, why he might have not liked President Lincoln so much. Um, he did remain, uh, John Wilkes Booth did remain in the North during the Civil War, having promised his mom that he would not fight for the Confederacy, but that did not stop him from believing in, you know, the Confederacy's beliefs. I like that he promised his mom that he wouldn't leave, or, like, he wouldn't fight for the Confederacy, so he didn't leave the North during the Civil War, but five days later, <laughs> he was not in the North anymore. I guess he kept his promise, question mark? Yeah, I mean, it. he, well, I don't know, he maybe might have been fighting for the Confederacy, depending on if you, uh, if you believe certain conspiracy theories, but we'll get <laughs> to that fun part in a moment. Continue. <laughs> All right. Um, 
So it turns out that before the Lincoln assassination, Booth and his co-conspirators had actually planned to kidnap President Lincoln on multiple occasions mm-hmm. prior to this tragic day. The the kidnapping that they had planned most closely in time, I guess, to the actual assassination was a kidnapping that was supposed to happen on March 20th. That was less than a month before when the assassination happened. But they ended up failing at their kidnapping when they were expecting the president to show up at a certain spot to, you know, kidnap him. But they, uh, but the president did not show up there. So, um, (laughs) hashtag fail. Instead... (laughs) Instead, Booth hatched a new plan, this time to murder the president. It was said that this new plan was really prompted by a speech that the president had given um, a few days prior to the assassination that was all about uniting the northern and southern states. Um, It also, you know, talked a little bit about giving certain rights to African Americans. And again, we're talking about someone who was a big advocate of slavery and basically anti everything Lincoln was saying in this speech. So the assassination plot was was planned. Now, it wasn't just supposed to be the Lincoln assassination. Did you know that, Emily? There were more people involved. I actually did know that. This is something I did not remember from from grade school, but it's it's definitely interesting. The the plan also included murdering the vice president of the time, Andrew Johnson, as well as Secretary of State William Seward. And the idea here was that killing the president as well as a couple of his successors, you know, if it all happened like at the same time, they wanted it all to happen at 10 p.m. on April 14th that if this happened, it would cause utter chaos in the U.S. government, and that would help to basically save the Confederacy, give it another life. Hmm. Um, Needless to say, I guess, his co-conspirators failed in their parts of the plan. Otherwise, I wouldn't have forgotten about it. I don't think it would be a much more ingrained piece of my historical education. Um, But I will note that Secretary of State Seward was attacked in his home, and he likely should have died, but was saved by a doctor and um, just permanently disfigured. So he did not die during this uh, this attempt. He would, however, Seward would go on to purchase Alaska from the Russians two years later in 1867. We've all heard of Seward's folly, right? No. Okay, well, Google it. I just basically summarized it for you. (laughs) Because that's not the purpose of this episode. Um, It's not the purpose of this episode because while the co-conspirators failed in their parts of the plan, John Wilkes Booth did not. Um, And the fact that he was able to so easily, I mean, think about it, so easily go in and, and commit this assassination probably had something to do with the fact that he was familiar with Ford's theater. Emily, you were exactly right. He performed there often. Mm. And it's said that he probably knew a lot of the stagehands. It wasn't much of a question as to why he was backstage. He was even able to, you know, sort of scout out and spend time um, during 
you know, different parts of either rehearsals or, you know, just spending extra time around the theater to figure out exactly how he was going to put his plan into motion. And, and he did. So, um, one of the things that we're going to share with you all on Twitter this week is a really interesting bit of media from the Ford's Theater website. Um, they have, perhaps unsurprisingly, an entire section of their website dedicated to the history of the Lincoln assassination. And I think it's a really great resource to learn more about the assassination from the place where it happened. So keep an eye out on Twitter. Um, it's a great resource and we hope you'll check it out. Um, but Emily, there is a bit of a national treasure connection here to what I would call what is leading up to this historical event. You don't say. I do say. And it's really these niche connections that make me irrationally happy. Yes, I can concur that this once again is true. <laughs> okay, so here's my interesting tidbit. So as we discussed at the top here, the meeting between Booth and Thomas Gates prior to the assassination that we see in National Treasure 2 is com completely fictional, right? Mm -hmm. Gates is not a real person. Right. But it is based on what could have been reality. All right. What I mean by this, just prior to the assassination in real life, John Wilkes Booth and his co-conspirators met one last time to, I guess, go over the plan at a location called the Herndon House. Now, this Apparently they didn't go over the plan very well. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, now, Herndon House was a boarding house located at 9th and F Streets in Washington, D.C. And this is where one of Booth's co-conspirators was staying. Now, it's surmised that this meeting before the assassination occurred in the ground floor dining room of the Herndon House, which could have been where National Treasure 2's fictional meeting between Booth and Gates happened. I mean, think mm -hmm. about it, Emily. We've been calling this the tavern or something, mm -hmm. right? This tavern could have been based on the Herndon house, and it actually would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, taverns have food where people can dine <laughs> and they're a room. I mean... Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. So I, I kind of really liked learning that because That's anytime... Really cool. Anytime we have a fictional event in one of these movies that can be you, that can be said to be inspired by reality just makes me love the movies even more. So, mm -hmm. so we all know what happens next, the assassination, but there is one other thing that the movie National Treasure 2 doesn't tell us, and that is what happened after. What is the aftermath of this event that takes place in Ford's theater where we leave off in the film before we jump to modern times. Well, you might be wondering, Emily, since I told you um, that President Lincoln did not die on the spot. <gasps> he, yeah, he was immediately rendered paralyzed. Um, the bullet was basically lodged in his head behind his eye. So there were some doctors in the audience that immediately came to attend to him and he was taken right across the street to Peterson boarding house where doctors attended to what was ultimately a hopeless case. To be honest, um, there was, there was really no chance of his survival and he died at seven 22 the next morning on April 15th. Yeah. I mean, just from like my scientific background, if, if you're saying it was lodged with, behind his eye, that 
either means that the angle of the shot was, and you can tell that I've been watching Bones because I'm going <laughs> to go into it here. Um, either the angle of the shot was such that it, like, missed the brain and, like, probably nicked part of the skull above the brain and then, like, kind of did a triangle thing and, like, landed behind his eye, at which case, like, even nicking part of the skull, that would then, like, go into the brain and could potentially cause issues. I mean, based on what we know from history and from the movie, which we discussed is fairly accurate, it definitely went through his brain, and I'm just I'm just imagining it didn't hit any, like, like the spinal cord or, like, the well, he was the parts. was rendered immediately paralyzed, so I, I think it, it hit <laughs> some, a motor-related area. Um, the spinal cord is not the brain, though, so you, you are right in that it did not hit the spinal cord if it went through his brain. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I think this might be, and I'm not a neurosurgeon, I'm not a medical doctor, but my assumption here, based on a very cursory understanding of wounds and such you know how you can get you know stabbed or something and more damage would be done if you immediately took out the offending object as Mm -hmm. opposed to if you leave it there i'm just guessing maybe this was a similar case where um you know the fact that it was lodged behind his eye maybe made it so that yeah he lost a lot of his his motor skills or or what have you um, but it didn't necessarily kill him immediately because maybe, you know, his lungs and his heart were still functioning, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, he he did die the next morning and he would be buried later in Springfield, Illinois, where he was from prior to his presidency. Um, he wasn't buried until after his body traveled by train throughout various parts of the country over almost two weeks, allowing Americans to basically pay their respects as you know, his casket was basically paraded um, around the country, which sounds like something that is vaguely reminiscent of what sometimes happens today when we see, you know, prominent politicians um, pass away while they're in office. Mm-hmm. Um, so in any case, there is a really excellent account of President Lincoln's day on April 14th, what he did from the beginning of that day to the moment he was shot. Um, found in an article in Smithsonian Magazine, which I'll also share with you all on social media this week, because it's a, if you're interested in this, it is an incredibly insightful read. And honestly, I'm just really impressed they found this much detail and it really paints the picture. But um, that is what happened after the fact with President Lincoln. But I know you're all wondering what happened to who, Emily? Booth. Yeah, we want to know what happened to Booth. Um, So as we know, he fled the scene of the assassination, but um, he was recognized, as we said, immediately on stage because he was a well-known actor. So he couldn't hide. He couldn't really run. So he he tries to be on the run. Um, He has to have his leg treated because it's broken. Um, His leg is, of course, treated by Dr. Samuel Mudd. Call back to episode 12 of National Treasure Hunt, who you may Mm -hmm. remember. Um, is purported to be one of the origin stories behind the phrase, his name is Mud, which of course makes an appearance in Book of Secrets. Now, by April 26th, following a massive manhunt, John Wilkes Booth was shot by Union troops in a barn in Virginia. And his last words, Emily, do you want to know what they were? Always. 
Yeah, his last words before he died a few hours later were, useless, useless. Mm. Yeah. Um, really makes you think. <laughs> yeah, dark. Anyway, four of his co-conspirators would also be captured, tried, and hanged. Um, Samuel Mudd, the good doctor, was given a life sentence initially that was eventually commuted um, because, you know, he claims by Hippocratic Oath he had an ethical obligation to treat the broken leg. It's fair. Yeah. There is an interesting tidbit here, Emily, as we start to wrap up this historical portion of the episode. And this is one that quite literally made me catch my breath. It made me so happy. It literally blew my mind. I'm pretty sure I called my boyfriend immediately to tell him because I needed to tell him this because it just made me so excited. I think I texted you about it too, but I didn't like tell you what it was because I assumed you would read my notes for the episode and lo and behold, you did not. So... (laughs) So this is going to come as a beautiful surprise to you. And I'm excited yeah, guys, for you. Watch here or listen here for my reaction. <laughs> for genuine reaction. Okay. So um, something that's pretty interesting to me, I think, is that, you know, President Lincoln wasn't super, super incredibly well liked during his presidency, even by the North. Hmm. Um, and this is something that, um, doesn't surprise me entirely. I mean, he did have very in the middle sorts of priorities and, and decisions that would probably make the North think he wasn't going far enough and would probably make the South think he was going too far, you know, with his decisions. So, you know, he wasn't the most well-liked in life, but fascination and admiration for him really grew in his death. And, you know, we see this happen at times where there's almost a mystique surrounding someone who died tragically. Mm-hmm. And, um, This is something that I think can be tied to Book of Secrets. You might recall that Ben and the president in the film admit to each other while they are in the tunnels under Mount Vernon that Lincoln was both of their favorite presidents. And Mm -hmm. um, thinking about this, Emily, aside from the fact that it's a nice callback to the fact that, you know, now President Lincoln is generally quite admired in history. Um, I was really thinking about this scene. I was thinking about this scene in the tunnel when they're having this conversation. And I thought about the scenario that got us here. And, you know, Ben had to kidnap the president. Ben had to kidnap the president. Ben had to kidnap the president. Okay? Think about this. (laughs) Think about this. I don't know if you know where I'm going here. I I think I do. (laughs) In kidnapping the president in Book of Secrets, you can draw a really eerie parallel between Ben Gates and John Wilkes Booth. Because recall, Booth's original intention was to kidnap the president. So in a sense, Ben, in trying to prove that his family was not associated with this horrible thing, he does almost the exact same thing that he's trying to prove his family didn't do. Whoa. Isn't that trippy? That's so cool. I mean, not cool, but like so interesting. Yeah, I, right? Okay, so this is what what I started thinking. You can really get into an in-depth look at this where you're asking yourself, you know, Ben Gates did this act that John Wilkes Booth also almost did, okay? And the way we react to those two scenarios 
are super different. Mm-hmm. You start asking yourself, when is this like lesser of two evils situation actually appropriate to think about? When do your ends justify your means? How much does your belief in your justification for an act vindicate an act if it is questionable or controversial? I mean, Booth obviously did a horrific thing. And I don't know, Emily, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we would say the same thing, that it was a horrific thing, even if he had only kidnapped Lincoln as opposed Mm -hmm. to assassinating him, right? We wouldn't have known the difference because the assassination wouldn't have happened. But no one looks at Ben's actions in Book of Secrets and says Ben did a terrible thing. Yeah, not even the president himself. Not even the president himself. And so it's really this question about intentions and morals and ethics. And this is really a long-winded way of saying we're going to discuss morals and ethics and all of this stuff in a future episode of National Treasure Hunt. Emily and I are both super excited for this. Um, But I don't know, Emily, this just blew my mind. This is incredible. I love the kinds of questions that you're getting at, which probably speaks to why we're doing that later episode on ethics and morality and national treasure. But I love the questions that you're getting at. Thank you. Um, And now everyone can go to sleep tonight contemplating why they don't think Ben's actions were bad. And um, I hope I hope you all you think about that. And let us know your thoughts on Twitter because I'm really curious. Maybe we'll even share some of them, some of your thoughts when we do that episode on ethics and morality. So if you want, if you want to hear those opinions of yours heard on the airwaves, send us your thoughts on Twitter. Um, so, so I don't really think I can top that as my ending point for the historical portion of this episode. So I will just end on this before we head into Emily's conspiracy theories. Um, something that I promised you all from the beginning, the question, what about the diary, right? If we learn one thing from Book of Secrets, it's that John Wilkes Booth, number one, assassinated the president, and number two, had a diary. Mm -hmm. So what is the truth about this diary? It turns out that the Booth diary is just a small six by three inch appointment book that was found on John Wilkes Booth's body when he was shot and killed. And aside from written entries, it also contained the photos of five women. Um, yeah. Hmm. Fun fact. You can read a transcript of entries related to the assassination on the Ford Theater's website that we are going to share. And um, most of these entries were written, you know, in between the time that he shot the president and was on the run before he was caught. Um, There are, in fact, a great deal of pages missing from the Booth diary, although the exact number is the number of pages itself. You'd think that would be an easy thing to know. But throughout history, there's been a lot of disagreement about how many pages are actually missing. So some people say 18, some say 27, others say 43. And it's just bizarre to me that it's that much of a question. Um, But that's a side note. Um, But the bigger part here, which is going to lead into Emily's conversation in just a moment, is the fact that how these pages were torn out and when they were torn out is a bit mysterious. Uh, For the record, these pages remain officially missing, although on several occasions, reports of their resurfacing have occurred, much like 
Mitch Wilkinson's claim at the very beginning of National Treasure 2. Of course, the film operates under the premise that Wilkinson has in fact revealed a real page to the Booth Diary, um, but I will note that far fewer pages seem to be missing in the movie prop diary than in the real-life diary. Otherwise, the prop looks remarkably similar to the real diary, which can be found at Ford's Theater today. So that really concludes the portion of this episode that is based on historical fact. And so, Emily, you are now going to lead us into a robust conversation on conspiracy theories. And so what I imagine you're about to tell us is a heck of a lot of historical fiction. That is indeed true. That is what I will be doing in this segment. So guys, let's, you know, throw off the weight of all of that history and let's have some fun here, okay? <laughs> so first, let's get started with this diary stuff. Now, Aubrey, as you mentioned, the diary was found on Booth's uh, person when he was found to be dead. However, there was an actual 1865 conspiracy trial. Yes, it sounds weird. But it happened, and it was a trial, and the diary itself was not produced as evidence during this trial, even though people had a hold of it. So this, of course, started to get all kinds of different people on different conspiracy trains about what was happening, like what had happened with the diary during that point, if pages had been altered during that point, like what was going on. And in fact, the diary was rediscovered. She in says 18, in air quotes. <laughs> in 1867, in a conveniently forgotten War Department file with pages missing. Right. right. And like I said, we knew these pages were missing, as you mentioned. But could these pages have contained the key to who is really behind the assassination? Yes. And so when you say who was really behind the assassination, I'm assuming what you mean is these conspiracy theories suggest that it wasn't actually booth's idea oh yes and we will get we will get to that in the later in the two little points i have towards the end of this here but yeah people think that it was not booth's idea there's some people out there that say it was like literally a spur of the moment decision that he just decided that night that he was going to assassinate him because the kidnapping stuff hadn't worked um so a nice man Maybe nice. I don't really know if he was involved in all this nonsense. Lafayette C. Baker actually testified to Congress in 1977 that 18 pages were removed from the diary. Yes, Aubrey. You said 1977. So we're talking like a century later. Yes. The FBI looked into this about a century after it happened. Cool. Yeah. So... Still, we still have questions, uh, and you can imagine that that's also fodder for some of the conspiracy theories that surround all of this. If the FBI starts looking into something, you're going to start getting a little, little questionable here. Now, as you said, Aubrey, this number, you know, nobody really knows how many pages were missing. The FBI gives like a certain number that they, in their report... It's not really known, but all we know is that this dude did testify that there were 18 pages. But of course, we're talking about people who are conspiracy theorists here. 
So as soon as we bring the FBI into things, people are going to go a little bit crazy. Now, when the FBI looked into this, they actually figured out that somehow, I'm not clear on how, but they supposedly figured out that the first sheet of paper that John Wilkes Booth wrote on in this notebook was page 28. And they previously had claimed that there were 25 pages missing in the beginning of the diary, which means that pages 26 and 27 had to have been removed. But unlike the 25 pages that were supposedly removed prior to when John Wilkes Booth started writing, these pages were clean cuts. So, in fact, no one knew that they were missing before this point. And I'm probably sounding a little crazy and that's because conspiracy theories. Yes, Aubrey. <laughs> so, sorry, to try to make sure this makes as much sense as possible. What you're saying is the first in FBI numbers, 25 pages were torn out like the torn pages we might have seen in National Treasure 2. But yeah. these two additional ones that were a surprise, <laughs> really, mm-hmm. um, they were they were cut such a way that they weren't torn we if they were let's put it this way if they were uh clean cut in the national treasure movie we wouldn't have noticed them because of the way they were cut exactly and this aubrey as you can imagine had led many people down many a rabbit hole beginning to wonder how many pages of the diary were actually clean cut if pages were taken out and reinserted. I saw some things online about possible like removing of the pages and then gluing them back into place. And some of them were glued back into place. Uh, it was a lot and it got really messy, but that the that was the main point that I wanted to tell you about the FBI's involvement with the, uh, I was going to say with the book of secrets. I mean, it is a book of secrets. It is um, a book of secrets. I mean, it, it actually, it's a book that lacks secrets because the secrets are missing. That's true. <laughs> um, so then this dude comes on the scene named Robert Diamond. Great name. Now, in the 1980s, he found what is now known to be the oldest subway tunnel in the world under New York City. So, like, he found the tunnel leading to the Templar treasure? (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he did believe that there were some treasures in that tunnel. He believed that behind a wall of rock, there is, or there was, an 1830s wood-burning steam locomotive. Fun. And the lost pages of Booth's diary, because why not? Convenient. And his whole thing was that he was trying to get the New York City uh, Department of Transportation and other funds to help him kind of break this wall down so that he could find these pages. But the Department of Transportation eventually shut down that investigation. But he believed that finding this 1830s wood-burning steam locomotive, not quite sure how that played in, And the pages of Booth's diary would somehow implicate that the mayor and other New York City officials conspired to assassinate President Lincoln. Wow, that's a jump. That is. So that's that's a a fun one for you. It is. It's even more of a jump because I don't know. I don't know how long 
locomotives are used for, but um, the assassination happened in the 1860s. <laughs> and so, like, let's just put it this way. Robert Diamond did not do as much chronology and temporal homework as the story writers for National Treasure did in both of their films. Continue. Yes, yes. So something else that I wanted to point out was that, you know, Aubrey, as you mentioned, Booth was an actor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I mean, even still to this day, have trouble believing that a mere actor could be responsible for putting together the plan for this crime by himself. Can we just go on the record really quick before we take this any further um, and say that we don't necessarily believe that? Oh, actors, no. Actors can have quite a bit of intellect and, and capacity to plan things good and bad. Yes, we know some actors. Um. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, I just wanted to get that on the record. Go on. So, you know, that started to bring into question some of the other connections that might have been in place helping Booth put this whole thing into motion, right? Oh, so this is where we're getting to the part where people think he didn't do it himself. Correct. And that's important. What I found really were two main conspiracy theories that were about the assassination and the planning of the assassination itself. Okay, Okay, so we're going to start with one that has a connection to the Vatican. And I just want to say that I as I mentioned probably about three or four times in this episode, have been watching Bones lately. And really? Really, Emily? We had no idea. And um, I happened to watch an episode of Bones earlier, or at the end of last week. I guess you guys don't know when we're taping this. Um, or I, I happened to watch an episode of Bones uh, earlier in the week that had one of the uh, characters, uh, the conspiracy theorist, uh, Dr. Hodgins, actually uh, saying that he believed that the Catholic Church and the Pope were involved in the Lincoln assassination. And he was going on about it for a little while. And then I went to do my research and found that the writers of Bones at least probably pulled that from a legit conspiracy theory that exists. And this is on a, this is on network television. Yeah. <laughs> Bold choices. <laughs> Bold choices. Go on. Okay, so before I get into this, what I want to note is that um, the Republican and Democratic parties at the time were different than the Republican and Democratic parties are now. So Lincoln was actually a member of the Republican Party. And at that time, the Republican Party did have a wing that was anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, and anti-Catholic in their general overtones. So this kind of starts our whole story because there were some Irish Catholics that opposed Lincoln as they were part of the Democratic Party. And partially one of the reasons that they opposed Lincoln was because they blamed him for drafting Irish immigrants into fighting the Civil War, which they claimed Irish immigrants didn't really understand enough to be fighting for. Okay. Which is a fair point. So here we're starting to bring in some, you know, some Irish Catholics. We have the Catholic uh, thing going on here as a possible. The Catholic thing? <laughs> the Catholic thing is going on. 
Now, as we talked about, many people were suspected to have conspired in the scheme to assassinate Lincoln. One of them was Mary Surratt, who was like a serious Catholic. And apparently many of the other people were also very serious Catholics. Like the, the, so you mean the convicted co-conspirators? Yes. Okay. So because of this Catholic thing, (laughs) this led to a theory that the Pope or higher ups in the Roman Catholic Church were involved in the assassination. Now, there's not much more information that I found on how exactly they were involved. The last little thing that I wanted to note about this point that may have led to some issues surrounding the Catholic thing was that (laughs) apparently Lincoln had defended a priest named Charles Sinecoy, not quite sure on that one, against a Chicago bishop. Now, bishop obviously being someone from the Roman Catholic Church and a priest obviously being from a different church. Apparently, this defense by Lincoln did not go over well at the Vatican and therefore brings the Catholic thing more into the story or the conspiracy surrounding President Lincoln's assassination. So because of these points and the fact that some stuff that President Lincoln did kind of ticked off the Vatican a little bit, we have this massive conspiracy theory just existing in the ether. Yes. Cool. Good That's stuff. how conspiracy theories work, Aubrey. Okay, well, I try not to be super in touch with the conspiracy theories unless they are national treasure. Um, And so that's all I have to say about that. That's why you are doing this part of the episode. I would like to point out, I am not in touch with conspiracy theories. (laughs) I just find it interesting to read them because I think people have said and done interesting things to get to the conclusions that they get to. Well said. But something tells me we're not done here. Yes, there is another point, and that is the Eisenschimmel thesis. Now, I should note that not only did I have trouble pronouncing that name, which maybe you will hear in a blooper reel uh, in the future, uh, but in addition, this man whose name I'm not going to say again was oh, come not on. His... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, you just gotta have to understand. Emily had to cut out a solid three minutes of tape before she got the word out. <laughs> so she just couldn't couldn't say it. Okay, sorry. Just I just had to make sure everyone knew that. Eisen Schimmel yes. was not a historian. In fact, Aubrey, you know what he was? He was a chemist. Uh Uh-oh. Turned oil company executive, which, not really sure how that transition happens. Hope that's not a route that you're going to go down. Um, But it was an interesting one for Eisen Schimmel, nonetheless. He published a book called Why Was Lincoln Murdered in 1937? A question we ask ourselves every day. Now, the main thread of this book was that Edwin Stanton, who was the Secretary of War during at the time of Lincoln's assassination, was the mastermind behind this entire plan. Now, the dude that wrote this book 
has some circumstantial pieces of evidence that he claimed were more than circumstantial. And that related everything to the Lincoln assassination and Edwin Stanton's role in it. So let's get rolling with this, guys. First of all, for the motive. Apparently, old Stanton boy here was concerned that Lincoln's proposal for Southern Reconstruction would end up letting the Confederate states off way too easily. Okay. Okay. So that gave him apparently a good motive for an assassination. Okay. So when we get into the plan now, Stanton ended up actually discouraging a lot of the people who were supposed to attend the play with Lincoln that night. He wanted to, in a sense, kind of clear the field, get Lincoln as alone as possible. He also, interestingly enough, turned down the president's request for him to have a bodyguard, which left him, Stanton, unguarded and therefore able to do devious things. Devious things. Devious things. Also, after the assassination, Stanton closed down all bridges except the Navy Yard Bridge, which incidentally is how Booth was able to escape. Coincidence or plan? Never know. I would call this plan more of a coincidence, but, you know, (laughs) Booth escaped. Then, apparently, there was a claim at some point that the 15 pages that were torn out of Booth's diary were actually physically ripped out by Stanton. So, once again, like, super circumstantial. Like, how how are we getting there, dude, Mm -hmm. who wrote this book? Um, And then, the last point that I will leave you with is there was a dude. There's so many dudes in the story. Mm Mm-hmm. Named James William Boyd, who was mistakenly thought to be Booth and was shot and killed in Virginia. So, Aubrey, you know how you mentioned that Booth was shot and killed in Virginia? Uh-huh. Well, the uh, Eisenschimmel's thesis was that James William Boyd was the one who was actually murdered in Virginia. And then that Stanton saw that the autopsy records from James William Boyd were altered to make it seem more like it could have been Booth's body. And his rationale behind this was that he didn't want his involvement in the kidnapping plots to get out. So, as you can see, very circumstantial pieces of evidence, barely held together by a thread. I did the best that I could with this Eisenschimmel thesis. And I think that about closes us on the conspiracies. I do. I do have to ask you, Emily, as someone who researched these conspiracy theories with so much effort and care. Do you do you believe any of them? You know, I don't. um... (laughs) Good answer. Good answer. I, I find them all interesting, and mm-hmm. like you say, when you get, like, little details of things that you can connect the dots to in one way or another, you get really excited about that. I find it really interesting the way that people pick out certain details from these historical events and are able to kind of weave their own version of the story out of them. And, you know, that's a really good point, Em, and something that 
I think is simultaneously poetic, but also scary, mm -hmm. is the fact that clearly people have been doing this for a long time. Yeah. You know, picking, picking the points of evidence that fit their theories and weaving their story around them. They do it today. They clearly did it back in the 1800s. And I don't know, some history professor or teacher out there listening might be able to tell us that they did it for thousands of years. I don't know, but um, it's something that seems to be innately human. Mm -hmm. I guess for we sure. can leave it there. Um, well, this has been an adventure. I think uh, a historical and conspiratorial adventure. And if we learned anything from this episode, I think it's that Emily cannot pronounce the word Eisenschimmel. No comment. <laughs> but it's all in good fun. I mean, in, in all reality, we hope you guys learned a thing or two from this episode today, um, or maybe even appreciated some some fun new parallels with National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Uh, please feel free to let us know what you thought of this episode online. Emily, care to do your thing one more time? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You will find us for your ears in which you place in or on the headphones that you use to listen on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even SoundCloud. Guys, like, rate, review, subscribe, do all the things. As Aubrey mentioned, we're going to have some fun Twitter content following uh, the release of this episode that will hopefully give you even more historical information into the Lincoln assassination. Totally. And don't forget to check back in about two weeks time. If you're listening on the day that we release this episode, because we have another episode coming your way. And that one is going to be a bit of a callback to last season's comparison to the Da Vinci code. But this time we're looking at a different movie franchise this is going to be our compare and contrast national treasure with Indiana Jones. This should be fun. And I anticipate some strong opinions from us and our listeners. Em. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited <laughs> for it. It should be a good one. So we hope you're looking forward to that. But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt.